0: Thanks for tuning in to The Roundtable Podcast, episode 65.
1: Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Mike Underwood. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned in to The Roundtable Podcast.
0: On The Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest hosts.
1: That's right. Then we take the idea to our narrative dojo, put it through a training montage, force it to paint houses to (laughs) strengthen its characterization, spar with it until its pacing is perfectly honed, and then we send it to do battle with other tales to prove that it has become literary Literary
0: gold. (laughs) Oh, my friend. Brilliant. Brilliant. And so very apropos of your unique skill set, sir. That was outstanding. Dear friends, Michael Underwood rejoins me as my co-host, and I couldn't be more delighted. Michael, thank you so much. This this has been a blast so far, and I'm looking forward to more to come. The greatest is yet to come. Indeed, indeed. Uh, not the least of which is our guest hosts, and do let's bring them back from their 20 minutes with, well, okay, let's be honest, their 40 minutes with <laughs> last week. Uh, uh, please welcome back to the big chairs here at the roundtable, Janet and Chris Morris. Janet, Chris, we are so delighted to have you back here, and we are so looking forward to workshopping a story idea with you. Thanks for joining us.
2: Oh, we're happy to be
0: here. <laughs> good times, good times. Now, before we dive into this, uh, uh, you both have such a legacy of expression, of creativity, of story, of narrative. What I can only imagine... The near future and perhaps the distant future is fraught with radiant glory in terms of new projects that are coming out. Would you share with our listeners what you have coming up, what's coming out? What do they need to be aware of to stay on top of the Janet and Chris Morris engine of fabulosity?
2: Well, our newest release, which is out less than a month is the Sacred Band audiobook read by Chris Morris.
3: Uh-huh, excellent.
2: I want to let Chris talk to you about it because I'll tell you, it took nearly a year to do. Wow.
3: Because I wasn't familiar with how to go about it.
0: It was a learning experience for you.
3: You bet.
2: <laughs> and, and we I'm did. a team
3: player so I needed someone to babysit me. Now I can do it myself.
0: <laughs> Training wheels are off.
2: <laughs> but it's wonderful. I wanted it to sound exactly like it sounded in our heads and when we we read it to each other as we were working through it, and it does. It's just grand, and we'll do more. We're going to do "I, the Sun next.
3: About halfway through, I abandoned the idea of using or making up a cute voice for each character because you can never keep them straight. And it just Good sounds call.
0: Like, <laughs> Good call.
3: Sounds like a puppet show. <laughs> so I had to go back and redo the first, oh, third or so.
0: Well, you, you make those discoveries, and you go back, and you fix it. If it doesn't sing, you rewrite, or in this case, re-record.
2: It, it does now. You know, as I said, we went and basically did the whole thing till it met our standard, and I am so delighted with the result. Um, Chris is just putting out new music. Uh, we just put up um, Searcher on... I
3: never realized there were sites where people all over the world will listen to... <laughs> stuff and go trolling for new sounds because they're tired of the same old, same old. But now I've discovered I have a rabid following in New Zealand. <laughs> oh, cool. And if I, if, yeah. I'm hoping to introduce them to each other to Maybe they can pool their money and get us over there. I'd love to see it. It's a beautiful
2: place.
0: I was going to say a tour of New Zealand, I think is definitely in order.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> as far as what we're doing for literary, we're uh, we have a long running anthology. Heroes in Hell, and it usually closes on Christmas Day. We don't want anybody to miss any hell. Uh, (laughs) uh, So the writers are all writing their stories, at which point then I get them all and I have to thread through them. And we're doing a new shared anthology called Heroica, and it focuses on heroic fiction, but in any time. And the first volume of that is called Dragon Eaters, And uh, we've had a lot of fun with the concept of Dragon Eaters, you know.
3: The new red meat. The
2: new red meat. (laughs) The only meat that's naturally smoked. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Dragon, it's what for dinner, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so Uh, the the, the
0: fast food franchise opportunities alone are awesome.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. So so we're having fun with Dragon Eaters. And uh, I'm doing a new hero called Rhesus of Thrace.
0: Yes, I heard about this, yeah.
2: Oh, we released a little bit of it in a, a charity anthology called Nine Heroes, so you can read the very start, but um, it's a big novel. It's one I've wanted to do for a long time, but it's almost as if you took Eye the Sun methodology and the Sacred Band of Stepsons and put them in a blender because he was a character in the Iliad who was killed at Athena's order before he got to join the battle. And he's very interesting, and he became what's called a hero cult. And so in our story, following the Iliad and Euripides, who said that his mother Calliope arranged for him to be resurrected after his death, he gets out of the cave where they've kept him all this time, and I'm having a wonderful time with him.
0: <laughs> Outstanding. When, when do you anticipate that being uh, uh, out and available on, on, the, on the bookshelves?
2: The book, it's going (laughs) to take the rest of the year easily. A big novel like that, I I take my time. Spring, summer, maybe. Okay. And uh, that's pretty much what we're doing. After that, I have another Sacred Band novel, and then a sequel to Out Passage. So my next three years are mapped.
3: Thanks for asking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, do you guys uh, do any uh, convention appearances at all? We try.
1: Once in a a great while. Any of
0: them on the books yet, or, or possibly?
2: We haven't scheduled anything for next year. Our big event this year was the talk at the Library of Congress, for which we had create a a real presentation, presentation, a government-style, you know, presentation. And it was a lot of fun to mix story presentation. Chris would read from some of the heroic selections, and I was supposed to stick with the script and talk to what I had written but didn't. So... (laughs) What a shock. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, really. We put the... act. Uh, actual paper up on sacredbender.com, and there's a 51 minute YouTube which has the entire if you missed it and you want to be at the Library of Congress event all 51 minutes are there and available for anybody who wants to watch them on YouTube and Chris reads some amazing things outstanding
0: i i will definitely make sure that the link to that and to the audiobook and to and reference to all of that awesomeness gets into the liner notes so our fans can can click on that and follow up on all of that that's
3: fabulous Very kind, thank you
0: now i also want to turn the mic over to to master underwood uh who also has numerous uh fabulous things that are coming out into the world mike what what's coming up for you sir
1: Yeah, so I'm just a couple months out from the release of my superhero fantasy novel, Shield and Crocus, which was in June, which is about a group of heroes who uh, fight to free a city built in and among the bones of a fallen titan, and that one is very kind of high-action-y. And then my next book is called The Younger Gods, which is a supernatural thriller set in New York starring the one moral son in a family of kind of apocalyptic monster and evil God cultists. He runs away from home when he realizes how terrible they are. And then his sister shows up to kickstart the apocalypse and he has to overcome his complete lack of social skills in order to uh, <laughs> gather allies to fight them.
2: That's <laughs> great. Wow. That
1: sounds awesome. That sounds like my home life. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh man! Now, now, what about con appearances? Any any uh, show? I know you're a show man. Uh, uh, both both for for Angry Robot books and for yourself. What's what's coming up on your schedule?
1: Well, I was just at the Baltimore Book Festival, and I'm going to be at New York Comic Con because it's right before the launch of the Angry Gods uh, with Simon Schuster. Doing stuff there, and then I'll be at World Fantasy Convention down in DC because it's an easy trip for me, mm-hmm. which uh, is is known in in fantasy writer circles as the bar con to end all bar cons. <laughs> all of the business is done is is done over martinis and and margaritas, <laughs> less so in the panels. Yeah,
2: I made a three book deal at a fantasy con in the bar.
0: indeed get get your get your stamina get your get your endurance up swallow some olive oil before you go in and uh, i i hear that helps with with countering inebriation i don't know
1: livers are essential in getting book deals
0: apparently apparently i'm surprised more and more veteran authors don't don't have liver problems in their advancing years oh fabulous michael i will make sure all of that gets into the liner notes is there anything else
1: well and you can catch me a couple of times a month on the Skiffy and Fanty show, and my own kind of continual efforts in the potosphere, mostly talking about uh, science fiction and fantasy media type things, films and television, good and bad.
0: Definitely, and and the friends, if you haven't consumed the Skiffy and Fanty show, do make that scene. Uh, uh, it is definitely one of the cornerstones of of genre geek and nerd culture uh, here in the potosphere. And and Michael, I got to say, I'm so I'm so delighted that you are. In the potosphere, doing the potosphere thing. Uh I think I think the place is better for you for having you in it, sir.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, oh, you're so very welcome. Well, friends, here's the deal. I'd like to pause for just a moment uh and give some airtime to another fabulous podcast or or awesome ebook or other project that's out there in the world. And when we come back, I would love to workshop a story. What do you say?
2: Oh, let's
0: do it. (laughs) Ha ha! Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. Do you like listening to audio science fiction? Are you a fan of writers reading their work? My name is Mike Luoma. By day, I play tunes on the
3: radio. The rest of the time, I'm creating science fiction and comic books. And I bring my two worlds together each week with my glow-in-the-dark radio podcast, where I read you my stuff. You hear free science fiction audio adaptations every week. And I give away the audio versions after I've podcast them, too. Free science fiction audiobooks on iTunes and at
0: audiobooks.com. I hope you'll check out my Glow in the Dark Radio podcast or any of my free science fiction audiobooks at glowinthedarkradio.com. I'm Mike Luoma. Thanks for listening.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Now the pièce de résistance, the big show, the main attraction, this is the workshop segment.
0: Yeah, baby! And the workshop segment does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer with with the the cojones and the spine to step forward and offer up their story for scrutiny. Uh, And dear friends, our guest writer for this episode is a fantasy reader, a blogger, and a writer working through the mundane life "'Undercover, as a bookkeeper during the day. "'By night, she enjoys journeying through fantasy worlds "'created by others and herself, uh, "'when not on the go, cheering her son on in sports.' She posts about books at her blog, My World in Words and Pages, and we'll definitely include a link to that in our show notes. Uh, She shares about her writing updates along with writing obstacles at The Challenged Writers blog, and offers her obsession to analyze as she reads a freelance content editorial at Melissa L. Hayden. Ladies and gentlemen, dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the roundtable, Melissa Hayden. Melissa, thank you so much for stepping up and offering a story. This doesn't happen without you, and we are so very grateful.
4: Well, thank you, David. It's wonderful to be here with everybody tonight.
0: Ooh, David, so formal. Oh, my. (laughs) Oh, did you bring a story well actually before we start, just how are things over at my world in words and pages? I, I started following that blog shortly after I started the round table and and I've really enjoyed your insights and perceptions over there. How how are things evolving in that world?
4: It is always moving and changing.
0: <laughs> how so?
4: Oh, just with everything. I I take a, a round of Uh, I read from fantasy to the romance, urban fantasy, everything just to keep me on my toes and keep going. And it, it, definitely is a lot out there to keep you going
0: <laughs> don't doubt that for one second well and 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 speaking of going we, we we gotta get going with your story that you brought with you so let's get into that moment here uh here's the deal melissa we're going to give you five to eight minutes give us the uh the story the genre your intended audience give us a tagline Uh, introduce us to some of the themes you want to explore, the world that it's set in, the characters, and then give us some brief story tent poles so we understand the kind of story you're working with. I'm going to get out of the way. The mic
4: is all yours, ma'am. Okay. What we have here is the book is an epic fantasy novel for a potential series for adults. The hook line is Princess Bedalia has killed her father. Now she must make the pilgrimage of kings to correct her actions that brought her kingdom and world to the crumbling state it is. The themes are facing the fear of the unknown and trusting in that unknown for awareness and redemptions to come. The world, a lush, plush world with no need of want, There are four kingdoms ruled by kings. At this time, I don't have a name for the world or the kingdoms, but that will come. There is peace between the kingdoms, but it's strained as they must rely on each other to keep the world rich for needs of each kingdom. Bedalia's kingdom has a feudal political system where the peasants working the lands, paying the lords, and the lords pay the king. There are two magic systems here. The first one is magic chanters who invoke spirits by priestly practitioners to work their magic for humanity. It's a voodoo type magic that the people of the kingdom love and respect as it's used to affect, protect, and maintain buildings and the food stores along with healing diseases. Magic chanters have always been advisors to the kings with their special talents. The second magic is dragon magic. It's elemental and connected to the land. There are four dragons remaining, chained and hidden away by the kings, believed they are keeping their people safe. It's a secret magic only known to the king and the highest priest of the chanters. Each of the four kings are bound to one dragon. The kings use the magic they tap into to form the world to their desires and needs. Dragons are long-lived, but not immortal. Kings have periodically breeded the dragons for when the old die and are killed. What is happening now is the world is shifting and breaking with the lack of connection to one of the kings. The characters, the protagonist of the story is Bedalia. Bedalia wants a kingdom of peace. In the beginning, she's proud and arrogant, a princess that gets what she wants from those that fear her father. In the end, she is humbled. She learns she has to listen and hear others' thoughts and beliefs, that there is more to ruling than what she thinks is right for her people. Ultimately, her heart is in the right place, and she's willing to do as she must for her people. Her weakness is she doesn't see all that is present in the world. She sees what she wants, and her actions are done with blinders on. She fears being ruthless, like her father, because he killed her mother. She is supported by Derek, Tristan, and Rylan. Derek is her number one commander and one of her teachers in military tactics and defending herself. He wants to fulfill his oath that he swore to Bedalia's mother and preserve his honor. He's a strong leader, able to assess the situation and needs of people who rely on him. His weakness is putting his honor and duty before his personal needs. He will die in the name of the queen he believes she will be. I'm not sure what his story arc is, but would really appreciate any help in exploring it. Tristan is a mercenary friend of Derek's who's come to town. At his age, he believes he's ready and wants to settle down with a good woman on a small homestead. Derek hires him for the mission to help protect Bedalia. In the end, he replaces Derek as Bedalia's personal guard. Rylan idolizes Tristan and wants to be a mercenary like him. When Tristan is hired, Rylan joins the group as Tristan's shield man, but Rylan has a dark secret. The priests have found that he's one of the few who can work the chanter magic, but Rylan detests the priests for their arrogance and greed. In the end, he will be the one to cast the final magic to bind Bedalia and the dragon to save the world. The, The primary antagonist is Xander. He wants power. Xander seeks to always control the situation. He starts calm and in control, then grows flustered and aggravated by loss of control. He's had a taste of the power the dragons possess and use it to prolong his life. Originally, he was confident he would woo and marry Bedalia, then kill the king himself to rise to power. In the end, when Bedalia denies him, he attempts to seize the dragon power for himself. The story in Act 1 is in the king's castle in the city. Bedalia is outraged by her father's cruelty and kills him. She feels justified in her actions for her people until her world falls apart. The lords panic, worried they will lose their standings. Market is not open. People are stealing. Crops diminish. Lack of food. And the world starts rumbling. When the armies of the three kings arrive on the horizon, Bedalia is at a loss. Bedalia discovers her father's journal. Finding a passage of the pilgrimage, she turns to Xander for explanation. Bedalia commands to go on the quest, taking Derek as guardian. Derek hires Tristan and Roland. about a week's time on the throne. And not only has her kingdom falling, but so is the land. Act two is the pilgrimage. Bedaya is shocked at the changes of the landscape and turns to Xander for explanation. The land begins to rebel against itself as the group approaches the temple with the entrance. A great earthquake closes the way. Bedalia finds a passage in her father's journal of when her father's fire dragon was mated with the earth dragon from the neighboring realm. Convinced this is the best chance to complete the pilgrimage, Bedalia sets off with her crew to seek out this king. They meet him and with promises of compensations when she is queen, the king shows them the route. Along the way, they encounter monsters, horrors and atrocities unleashed by the shattering earth. They end the second act, entering the deep caverns beneath the land. Act three is the connecting of power. Bedaya reaches the fable old dragon, but I'm not sure what slows her down from making the connection right away. Um, if we can, if I might be able to get help on that. Xander is frustrated with Bedaya for failing to entice her. He strikes her down. He starts the ceremony, trying to connect to the dragon himself. The old dragon doesn't survive. Xander leaves to find the egg he knows is here. Vidalia finds it cradled under the dragon. Vidalia desperately attempts to repeat Xander's chant to connect to the baby dragon, even though she's not of the chanter touched. Xander attacks. Derek stops him and dies. Xander is chased out by Tristan. Rylan performs the ceremony as he remembers the words Xander used. Vidalia returns home, but the world is different and she has to figure out how to mend it.
0: Outstanding. That is a great pitch. Well done, madam. Thank now, you. Now, let me ask you before we dive in any further, what are you hoping to get out of this workshop?
4: I'm hoping to get more to help me with getting through the story. Um, the story's here, but... I want something more, something to help twist it up a little bit.
0: I think we have a cast of rogues and misfits who can accomplish that very task. Uh, But before we dive into that, we we must uh, deliver our patented Roundtable podcast disclaimer.
1: Master Underwood, would you be so kind? Certainly. Melissa, we're about to prepare a veritable smorgasbord of ideas and inspirations. It's important you understand that everything said from this point forward by me, Dave, Janet or Chris, might be complete bullshit. This is your story. Anything we say and discuss is for your benefit, for you to use or discard at your whim. Okay? Sounds great. Boom! And we're off. It is our custom
0: to start off with a quick once around the table uh, to explore uh, some questions of clarification and some first impressions. We always defer to our guest hosts. So, uh, Janet, we'll start off with you. First impressions of Melissa's story and any questions of clarification you might have.
2: Um, For me, you told me everything but the story. You told me the background. You told me the plot. You told me the mechanics but you didn't tell me the emotional content or why I'm going to care. And I hope we can get to that. I also have um, about had my fill of cutesy dragons. So I'm hoping in the process of this, we can get the the, um, the dragon thing to bring something new to the table.
0: Excellent. Excellent. I, th- I think that's a distinct possibility. Chris, what about you, sir? First impressions and any questions?
3: I love Vidalia. <laughs> She is, she is the story. She's the voice. She's about to, t- to do one of the most radical things anyone can do, is to kill a parent, much less one oh, of the God. opposite sex. This is Oedipus in reverse, and it's an age-old, time-tested, and engaging story, whoever tells it in whatever garb. So, um, I think you're detail-heavy. Uh, you've got a lot of uh, decorations and and furnishings in the characters. I like the Xander guy, except this is going to me, it, it sounds like a story where a person is going to find out through trials and tribulations what she stands for, who she is. And those sorts of stories are fraught with unpredictable nuance, because of the the developing nature of the protagonist so um, I'd really I'm just concentrating on her because I want you've read Tolstoy I'm sure um, he spends a chapter just preparing to plunge the knife into <laughs> and, and by the time it happens you are just you' you're over the top with you um, loss and and the tragic sense that this is a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so um and it sounds as if you have her referring to her father's journals later there's going to be an an ongoing uh presence from her father and you have to be sure to draw him carefully in the beginning so that we remember the uh, endearing yeah. quality of the of him and his influence on her
0: excellent points excellent points and i definitely think we can explore that later on as we dive into this uh michael underwood uh your first impressions and any questions
1: i think there's some very cool moving bits in here and i i would agree with uh with chris and janet that you know this is going to hang really really heavily on the the development and richness of Bedalia's character arc since everything kind of revolves around her and she's the center of this, this narrative universe. Uh, I did have a question. So it seems like from the summary that Bedalia doesn't know anything about how, or maybe how the dragons work, but definitely doesn't seem to know the ritual of passing on the power. And I wanted to to get a little bit of clarity on that. What does she know about the relationship of the Kings to the dragons and the dragons to the land as the story starts before the dad is dead?
4: She knows nothing.
1: okay she, if she's the heir, wouldn't it be really irresponsible for him to not teach her anything?
2: Not if male not if females don't normally ascend um to that rank. Oh the question that I had was, can can is a queen equal to a king it, under what circumstances? I mean, this is four kings. There is no male heir. It's her. And it, so if she got, so got that sexist issue to deal with?
4: Yes. There, there, is no, there is no male heir, so in their eyes, unfortunately, she's going to have to take over.
1: So where where are the suitors?
4: <laughs> One
2: suitor, and he's the bad guy. But it makes sense. If there's no, um, no precedent for a, a female ruling as king, so to speak, um, queen, and queenship is an ancillary position, uh, then she wouldn't have been prepared to take the throne and she wouldn't have been trained and she doesn't know anything. And she's a decorative piece of furniture. Um, Which
0: would actually make for some very interesting gender issues. If she seizes the reins and says, I will be the first queen of these lands.
2: Make a better story. Hatshepsut when she went out with her troops to, bar- to battle strapped on a leather penis. Um, <laughs> the queen Hatshepsut of Egypt. And then that's a historical fit. I mean, but she had to fight that a lot of times. If you look at the historical precedents, if the blood is coming down the female line um, and is only valid if it's from the female because nobody can tell who the father of someone is anyway, but you can always tell who the mother is, um, then that's one set of rules. But if this is a matriarchal moment in a patriarchal society, there's a lot of meat here that you haven't touched on. That um, has to do with can a woman be considered equal to a king? Can queenship yeah. be elevated to kingship? If it can't, then you've got a different story because she can be a tyrant without having to be a king.
3: She's the highest value asset, so the story has to show her cast down and then slowly raised up.
2: I think she casts herself down when she kills her exactly, father. Exactly, exactly. Yep. I mean, when you kill your father, it's hard to come back from it. It's bad enough to put an animal to sleep. Um, but, you know, to actually kill your father, I don't know how old you are or what you've been through, but we've had uh, debilitated parents. And there was a moment at which it was clear that it would be kinder if my mother was, you know, if there, if there was a plug to pull. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes there isn't a plug to pull. And the reasons that she kills him and whether she was right or not should dot her all the way to the final climax of this book. If this were my book I would start at three quarters of the way through and reflect on what had gone before so I was running two timelines the timeline of the current final confrontation and how they got there because it's you've got so much stuff in here and it doesn't feel to me; it feels like it wants to be the start of a series, so that yeah. makes it even more difficult. You
3: use the term acts, and I'm thinking chapters. No acts, and that's like a play, uh, like a three-act structure,
4: Melissa. Yes, just uh, over the feel of the as the stories flow okay. is the three section.
3: Exactly, beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, in movie Lango, they call those. PP1, PP2, plot point one, plot point two. Plot point one comes 10 minutes after the film begins and is the uh, twist that sends everybody off into the middle, which is confusion. And then plot point two uh, is toward the end and uh, brings everybody back together, usually in some sort of a chase or quest and uh, winds it all up. So that's, that's a great structure, nothing wrong with it. I th- but I really think that you've got a leaner, meaner, uh, more interesting protagonist than you may uh,
4: realize. Have.
3: That. You're ready for for a big production, and she's it. I mean, she is the high-value asset, and all you have to do is speak passionately from inside her head. Yeah,
2: I think Chris is right. But you know, you got somebody who's killing a parent, and that's a I mean, she killed the parent because he has forced her to engage in illicit sex. She killed the parent because he speaks badly. She kills the parent. Yeah, he's Why? He's going to have to do
3: something pretty ugly, pretty and yet be salvageable as a as a source of guidance later.
2: No, no young female who hasn't been trained to do anything Sweet. much is going to be able to um, act for the greater good in defense of you know large principles. Um, alone without feeling huge back chatter of remorse afterwards.
3: The parallel in recent history is that we killed Saddam only to discover that Saddam was what you need to cover to <laughs> <laughs>
2: that area. <Yeah.
1: laughs>
2: that issue, if it takes a strong leader, and this, when you refer to the land as damaged, I couldn't tell whether you meant, when you said the land, do you meant the people of the land or the physical ground itself? Um, you know how magical is this place it, they can't if you want to make it very metaphysical and have a lot of magic going on you have to make the people extremely mundane and believable in the threats that they face and how they react to them in order to pull that off because you can't have if everything is numinous and nothing is solid then the reader has nothing to hold on to. So every young girl who would like to leave home or has an alcoholic father or was molested as a child or um, just was upset because her parents treated her and her father treated her like a child is going to react to this, and they're going to react in the way you guide them to. So you've got a killer who you're going to make uh, the hero, and that's tough. That's hard. When you kill a parent, that's heavy. So it's nothing wrong with it, but you've got to do it at a okay. much higher level than most people attempt.
3: I think we've been dominating too much.
0: Go ahead. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. It's all good stuff. Good stuff. Michael, I, I wanted to ask, did you have were you, Did you have a, 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 an expansion on the question about the suitors?
1: Yeah. Um, kind of looking through the dramatis persona, I note that Bedalia is the only woman who's named in this story. I, um, I could too. see in a story that kind of it was drawing upon the gender assumptions and kind of the play between what kings are allowed to do and what queens are allowed to do. That could be a positive, but I do want you to, to ask if there's a way, maybe if you're interested in, in creating greater balance or changing the cast around to see if any of these other characters could be gender flipped. And especially if there's any interest in exploring different models of femininity in the way that the kings have been practicing masculinity and masculine power. Because as is, you've got, you know, five to one on named characters. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, where are the, you know, where are the other people in around the crown? You know, the other advisors, the other, uh, the, the, uh, the magic chanters. And if we fill out the, the royal court a little, that may give us some, inf- uh, some ideas on influences on Bedalia and where else she's been going if her dad is this monster where she found her positive models aside from Derek, who we've, we've indicated as a trainer.
0: I agree. I definitely agree. And you, and you could even go so far as to, you know, explore from, from a gender issue. You know, if Tristan, for example, was Trista uh, uh, there's, there's that attitude of, I will become a man and, and live in a man's culture operating on their terms. That's one option. Uh, But it's not necessarily a, a, a balanced or, or, uh, uh honest uh choice in terms of being true to yourself and Bedalia, if she's going to truly rule and truly be a uh, uh, a good true queen will need to find a better way and trista could be you know tristan's as a female character could be an immediate draw and then a realization that no this will not work for me i need to find a better way i
2: think that that, that instinct is correct that there aren't there are no female influences at play in the story except the, you know, maybe the female dragon that dies with the egg. Well,
3: is she going to emulate male behavior? Is she going to be a kickboxer and do that kind of thing?
4: No, I I wasn't going to have her be a major kickboxer. I mean, she could definitely stand up on her own, but there, yeah, there needs to be more.
2: And why, why is she being trained in martial arts, um, what is the, the status of females in that society? The the typical way historically females ruled was either like Aspasia in ancient Greece, who ran the best Warhouse in town, and <laughs> yeah, she was um, she was absolutely the political brains of Pericles Pericles' rule in the century Ascent. But in earlier times she usually had at least remnants of the matriarchal society, which was magical, which ruled in a different way. And you would have females in the dragon magic area, in other kinds of earth magic, um, who she must have had some influences. You don't just get up one day and say, I'm going to kill my father today. Um, You know, a lot of things come into play there. And since you're starting, I mean, that's your first big scene, right? Everything else is going to be, why and
0: how I think we're gonna to need to, I think we're gonna to need to expand before that because I, that, that was my biggest concern was you know if in the opening scene Bedalia kills the king and this is our protagonist that's that seems like a, a very dark beginning and it's gonna be make it very hard for the for the reader to engage with Bedalia as the the, the bearer
1: of this I don't story. know about that Dave because there's a there's a recent novel that's was a debut fantasy called Promise of Blood by Brian McClellan. Which is done incredibly well, and it starts the first chapter. The main character has just murdered the mad king, and uh, Melissa, I would point you to that book to see how it's it does structure in terms of they've just had an overthrow of the of the monarchy. This one is much more Napoleonic era kind of um, flintlock fantasy, so it doesn't mm-hmm. fit your your tone. But I think structurally it could be interesting that you have. The deposing of the king, you have an overthrow of the old order. That over, that old order had secrets to it, which have larger implications. So there is some resonance in there. Um, I do think you can start right with the the murder of the king, but you need to get the you need to get Bedelia intensely sharp right away, and we right. need to burn with the right her righteousness from the beginning. We have to understand what, she, you know, why she's doing what she's doing as she's doing it or ju- just as she's done it, which will be a big task. But if done correctly, will I think create an incredible investment in the character from right, right in the beginning.
2: If she does it right, this could be extremely powerful. It's, it's very difficult. Uh, starting with an action scene um, of that sort that has emotional power. Um, and that breaks one of the human taboos. You don't kill your family. Um, mm-hmm
3: Well, you're you're counting on it to hook us. And you have, actually. (laughs) I I really like it. (laughs) Clearly.
2: It can can hook you. It can do amazing things. But what what you're going to need is room in there to have all the implications. As the implications of what she's done play out, and we find out that she's totally unprepared to take over, even though she thinks she should. Um, And that females, there is no history of females doing this unless it's back in the ancient past of this society. Um, and that everything falls apart based on the fact that she's done this, you've got a lot of really deep stuff that you have to cover and find a way to cover. And the guys are right. You will need a couple of female characters either to tell her that she really screwed up or to have had mentored her in the past. Um, it's Um This can't be a book where she's the only functional female within 500 miles. There have to be.
0: What if... Let me let me throw a what if out there. What if the chanters, the 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 existing magical order, the overt magical order, what if those are female?
2: Certainly at least some of them should be.
0: Yeah. And that and that then by 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 having some of them be female and having that be like one of the few uh avenues of of female empowerment in this culture, uh uh you could you could have, you know, got, even Xander could be a female character. And, and speaking of Xander, I'd like to turn our attention to the antagonist for just a little bit. Uh, uh, I've always had a problem with the motivation of power. Uh, uh, and we've heard time and time again, uh, on the round table, when we speak of our antagonists, there needs to be something about them that doesn't need to be, but it helps if on some level we can at least understand them and maybe, maybe even sympathize with them to the point where we can at least understand their viewpoint and where they're coming from. The, the, the naked lust for power uh, uh, is, is kind of a kind of a, a, a shallow trope. And I think we can we can do something better with that.
2: Well, if, if we take her at face value, the way she's been portrayed and she does this act, she Murder is heavy-duty. I don't know how much you've killed, but you know, we had a farm and you have to kill them every so often They're in enough pain. You got to kill them um, And it's very difficult and when things die It's difficult. So here's this guy who may think and rightfully that she's unprepared and Maybe telling himself that this is really he's got to step in now. That's a very typical male approach. I'll have. I'll fix that for you, honey. Just stand here hold my coat. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: um, and so rather than making him female, because you need the justification, in the end it's okay, now she's killed her father and she wants to assume his dignities and she wants to rule, but there hasn't been a king, who, there hasn't been a female who ruled in this culture for a long time. Um, and she isn't prepared. She hasn't been tutored in the ways of managing a country. Uh, she's got a lot of problems that she's going to face, partially because she's female. And as an antagonist, he's perfect for her because he may even think he's right. The best bad guys always think they're right. They don't think they're bad guys. Um, he may not look at her and think that he's really got a lot of lust for power. He may think that she really needs him to take care of her. And as insulting as that is, it's a very typical male approach to something like a woman overreaching. And if she is the only female and she's going to overreach at this level, you have to find a way for her to be plausible um, in succeeding. And at the end, she still hasn't really.
0: That's a, a point that that, that that struck me was uh, Rylan is actually the one who saves the day which kind of leads me to think Ryland's the protagonist.
1: I think Ryland doesn't need to exist in this book.
0: Please continue.
1: Uh, I think I agree that Ryland is kind of the final agent in terms of uh, kind of making the completion. And that for me takes the, the, the cresting of Bedelia's emotional arc away. I think it has to be something that Bedelia either she can recreate the the song, or that we tie back into the Vodou-style magic. Because I I think that you may actually also have only one style of magic, because what if... So, Vodou, you have Loa. Those are the spirits, right? What if dragons are just the biggest Loa, and that the low-level chanters don't have the power to communicate or to call upon the dragon Loa, but are dealing with the lesser spirits, and that only the kings have access to the chanters or to the special uh, chant itself to be able to communicate directly that way you integrate the two magic systems and you uh simplify while deepening the the impact of the chanters and that lets you have some kind of behind the scenes dealing with the chanters and it will let you remove the necessity of what ryland and roll and kind of put that role back into bedelia to let her be the protagonist
0: give her that agency to save the day herself
1: yeah. Is the
2: dragon going to choose her? I mean, you've got the four kings and the four dragons, and one dragon dies, and there's a baby dragon. The magic and the dragon part of this has to have a reason to be important. So what does it do in the story that can't be done any other way? Does it validate her?
0: Let me approach that question from a different perspective, just, just, just to try a different tack. Um, Melissa, you say that there are these four kingdoms, Okay. Mm -hmm. Are they like continent sized kingdoms or are they, you know, Europe sized kingdoms or uh, England sized kingdoms? How how big are they? Just roughly.
4: Uh, I would say probably in between.
0: Okay. And do they encompass the entire planet? And if not, what else is there besides these four kingdoms? Is there this misty barrier beyond which nobody goes? Is it impassable mountains and oceans? Is it, is, it, does it, is it a self-contained ecosystem that's a larger part of a larger continuum? Or is it some sort of isolated bubble of existence?
4: I really haven't thought about going outside of the bubble.
0: So it is a it is a bubbled existence. It is so so in that respect, the the dragon magic is literally sustaining this 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 reality, this bubble of existence for the people therein. Yes. Okay.
4: A
2: physical bubble or just a, a knowingness bubble? Uh,
4: knowingness bubble.
2: Okay. Well, you know, and if you just take, I've, I always try to root these things with parallels in history. At the time of the heyday of the Greeks. They referred to everything outside Greek and um, Asia Minor as a world away. And anything north of what was explored by the Macedonians and the Greeks until Alexander went over the mountains was considered greater Scythia, which is like, I don't know what's out there. I don't want to know what's out there. They stay there. I stay here. It could be just, and you might want it for later, the rest of the world isn't part of what they know about and if something if if there's other things that exist in other places and you're trying to create a series then you might be able to go to these other places later and find things there and experiences there
0: that's a good point in fact the dragons maybe the dragons didn't all die maybe they just left
2: we left, but I think if you have a fa- like a fake bubble, like the uh, this, you know a wall beyond which all is... Um, that 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 trivializes it. Um, you know, Sir William has said that no matter how far you push your borders, at the on the other side of them, there's always an enemy.
1: <laughs>
2: so, I mean, I would leave that as kind of you know the unexplored parts of the map, your equivalent of Greater Scythia or um, Thrace, you know, places that they just have no contact with. And and whether that's, if you really wanted to have something, maybe they're on something the size of Australia that's got land um, surrounded by water, and they haven't gone across the big water, but the dragons can fly,
1: Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm.
2: Right. So, I mean, you could get somewhere else. The trick is to match magic and history um, in such a way, you know, get a historical sense of how these places came to be and what's going on. And if you've got a patriarchal society ruled by four kings, it can really only be so big. You know, I mean even the the largest empires in ancient times, you, um, if you're walking and you got a foot army, it can only go 30 miles a day. If you're riding, It can maybe go 50, 60 on horse, you know, or the equivalent of a horse, miles a day, if there isn't a lot of foot there. The sense of how you manage your country, I mean, four kingdoms on an island the size of Australia surrounded by water. Leaves open anything you might want to do. They could lose the one dragon and never get the fourth one back, and she needs a fourth dragon that will cleave to her in order to be Taken Ooh. seriously by these three male rulers. And guess what? They have across the bay. And she finally finds it. Where she's chased there. And she goes in a boat. And she's nearly shipwrecked. And she gets to the other side. And what do they have? Dragons. Huh. So she finds a dragon there that will validate her if she can bring it home. And you could end it there. Wow. But you've got to, I mean, you have to find the heart of the story is the girl who has killed her father because she thought she should for whatever reason. You know, maybe she's a, um, a pawn of the, um, the magical chanters who don't like the way they've been treated under this one. And at the end, she breaks metaphorically loose. And if a storm drives her, you know, across waters where nobody's been able to go, here lie, he, here lie dragons, right? It's your story, sweetheart.
0: <laughs> well, that's an intriguing concept that that if if you know if the dragon dies as as Melissa had laid out in Act Three, let, let's take out Act Two altogether and just have her get right to the dragon in Act Two and have that altercation. The dragon dies and now she <laughs> needs to really step out and really be a leader.
2: Yeah. She's and she's got to do it without having been trained to do it. And whether she has a friend among the channers or not, let's say nobody remembers back far enough in this is a, in this cut off culture that there might be things like dragons on the on mainland or on a, you know, a, on the other side of the big water because they haven't got that far. The Greeks never went more than 20 miles offshore if they could help it because the boats wouldn't handle it. Um,
3: we could have weird dragons
2: that weird. turn into people.
1: Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Michael, what do you think, sir? Where, where, where's all this just stilling in you? Well, actually, one of my what ifs was, what if the dragons are bigger political players? So yeah. the dragons have these bonds that they've made with the kings, and the kings have an uneasy peace. But what if the dragons are playing a bigger part, either by communicating with the kings or influencing the kings explicitly or implicitly And that a relationship between the dragon and Vidalia's father, the king, going sour might be a possible kind of uh, metaphysical uh, origin for why the king has gone off the rails. And that creates much more of a the king is the land, the land is the king kind of relationship that you get in uh, ancient Chinese um, or really any number of of cultures where, you know, the, the king is meant to be the bridge between the, the magical world and the physical world because you've got dragons so you might as well do something more with them whether that's making them wheelie deely political dragons or you know there's a, a yin yang where most of the dragons are female because most of the kings are male you know there's a lot of different things that you can do with it but you, I, I would love to you dig suggest- deeper into these dragons
2: you're surely not suggesting interspecies sex. <laughs> um, sure we Arthur. are I mean, we can go like- there
1: we, there's been a lot of a dragon G- loving in G- fantasy. G-
2: now, but seriously, Mike, Melissa, Dave, the dragons as she's portrayed them are thin on the ground, and if you've got just these few dragons, you've got to decide whether they know if you're going to go and find another dragon on the mainland, um, and whether the dragons have used the chanters or any real magic they have to push this girl into killing the father for reasons of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean because you've got a lot of elements that aren't there right now. They're just elements that are dressing the story as a fantasy. They're not really in the story, but I they're kind of static what Dave was sa- was talking about just then sounded almost like the start of Macbeth and the three witches, uh, which is much more interesting because, you know, the three witches at the beginning, um, when we three meet again, not in fire, not in rain, um, if you had something like that and you started with the three dragons and because there's a sick one, um, trying to control the future, that would change the story. And she would be a pawn, an unknowing pawn of these, um, dragons. Agent, ancient more.
0: beasts. Yeah.
2: Right. Maybe they want to get some dragons from the mainland to rebuild the population. Maybe there's only those three left and that one egg. I mean, you got to think through.
3: There's a whole. There's too much going on for me. There's a lot, and I think that well, something that Janet said earlier is key. You need room. She needs room to grow into and through the tribulations and trials into herself. It's as though the end of the book is a is a kite flying almost out of sight, but she's got a string and she's winding away slowly, bringing it closer and closer, and. That's just another name for story structure, but what what we gotta well see now we're we're gonna write this with you so (laughs) (laughs) what we gotta do is give her room to to learn more and more as you said that what is obstructing her primarily (laughs) is herself and those are. Man, those are the toughest things. And our audience, we put this to a panel once at Liberty Con, asked everybody what they wanted to read, what kind of books they were drawn to. A young lady put up her hand and said, I like to read books where the characters find out what they stand for. And I said, you are our audience.
2: (laughs) You're going right. Um, Melissa, if I were writing this, you've got all this background that you've developed, but it isn't together in a way that I can evaluate it, I'd make a piece of paper for myself and on that piece of paper, in one sentence, I'd answer the question, what each character wants at the beginning of the story, and then I'd do a second piece of paper or the other half of the piece of paper, is what does each character want at the end of the story? And between those two things are the poles. That's the poles of your story. I mean, how far did they get? Um, a life changing event like killing your father. If it turned out to be that she was being controlled and manipulated by the magic peddlers and the dragons, that would let her off the hook. If, if she's, if it's the fates and like it is in Macbeth, you know, where everybody ends up doing what the, um, the three witches see coming and you see at the beginning and the end, you can have dragons at the very beginning and at the very end talking. Um, Ooh,
0: nice. The story
2: in between can be very human, but the dragons need to have a reason to be there beyond just being the talismans of the kings. So you've got a whole bunch of stuff. you got matriarchy versus patriarchy. you got magic versus secular. You've got politics that isn't really fleshed out because you don't understand yet um, how the culture developed. The reader doesn't understand. The reader, what we, the, we the readers, first readers, just don't understand how the culture has developed. But if you have a strong story, you don't need to detail all that stuff. A lot of what, if we know what they want, then the, the rest of the story is how they're going to get it and what happens if they wanted the wrong things. It's a is this a "Be careful what you wish for" story?
3: <laughs> almost, almost certainly. I love to bounce your ball around, Melissa. But what do you think?
4: Is any of this useful? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> That's
3: good. Okay, but really, um, what I want you to have a character who is so powerful to you as the writer that you lose sleep and, and you. You become so immersed that secondary outputs from your daily life really become secondary, and you just can't wait to get back and find out what the hell she's going to do next. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the kind of book that all of us love to read anyway. So if there's anything we can do to help you immerse in in your passion, that would be great.
0: What do you think, Melissa?
4: Uh, I... She struck mute. Liked. Yes. <laughs> cool. So I've got some thoughts
1: on structure. Okay, go for it. So if and I'm going to suggest a possible kind of narrative arc for the character, and please free Melissa uh, to uh, to brush it aside. If at the end of the book, Bedelia is ready is ready and equipped to rule, then I think for the middle of the book, we can look at the lessons she needs to learn between the beginning and the end Mm. in terms of what will allow her to be a viable queen and that those can be things that she learns to do or fails to do or sees other people doing or not doing in the middle of the book, whether that's traveling to the second kingdom and seeing how a different king rules in a way that's either better or worse or both in different ways. And that that can give us a little bit of the, the, the roadmap to what the story is going to be like and what Bedelia's middle of the arc is going to be like.
0: I kind of, that was one of the things that I really liked about act two was the fact that, that it forced Bedalia to go and engage with one of the other Kings. And I thought that would be a very telling moment in terms of, of, you know, part of the trifail cycle of, you know, she would probably be horrible at it. Uh, and we could see that and, but have her learn and evolve. That's an excellent point, Michael.
1: Also that King could be terrified of her because she's a regicide. <laughs> Good point. Like, um, what kind of reception yes. does a regicide get in a neighboring kingdom?
0: Especially, especially if the if the if the murder is is very public or very you know inescapable. It's it's not something that can be brushed aside. It's it's everyone knows it, and it's like it's a scarlet letter only worse.
3: I'm going to do the unthinkable and and ask whether Game of Thrones is something that you and Joy consider are paralleling? Um, if-
4: to answer that, I have never read or watched the shows. Wow. Oh, bless Ooh. you. God.
2: <laughs> I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. This girl in the middle arc as it currently exists, without the changes that we've suggested, Still has no matter if you think that you've been prepared to be, you know, I spent 20 years in Washington. Um, You think you're prepared to rule. You go down there where they're self-selecting. Everybody thinks they ought to be in charge. Um, everybody thinks they can do it better. The people who rule are surrounded by many, many people who gain power through association. And Here's this girl who is okay. She's a queen, but we've established that a queen is not a king. So what does she bring into the table? Does this does this guy think she wants to to marry him? Mm. She has to establish, if I understand this right, in order to be a, on parity, she has to under, under to establish queenship on a par with kingship, or be a tyrant on her own. You know, to, the word king. Uh, um, doesn't have anything to To do that. She has to prove herself, not just learn what it is to be female in in whatever world this is. She has to rise above all that and be equal to male in the eyes of a culture that doesn't have that equality. That's a lot to do.
0: That's the ascension that we were talking about in the 20 minutes with of rising past self-doubt into mastery.
2: Right, absolutely, and if the characters can do that, I mean, killing your father, killing your parent to become ruler was more common than you'd think historically. Uh-huh. Um, There's a lot of that going on, um, and the younger generation always thinks they can do a better job, yeah. but you've got the sexual issue as well. Um, the guys become, these four guys around her, if it were my book, I'd pick him off one at a time and leave her only with Xander at the end, who she can't really trust.
0: Ooh, nice! And
2: pick off those good guys,
0: and make her stand on her own.
2: Huh? that's right. Don't lean on a guy.
0: Well, dear friends, I- I'm looking at the clock, and and as as awesome and rich as this is, uh, uh, I'm I'm we're gonna I'm gonna have to start taking us home so here's what I'd like to do I'd like to go once more around the table Janet Chris Michael and myself and very briefly just give Melissa some last bits of advice some some any ideas that you didn't get to pull out in the in the in the workshop proper Uh, but but give her give her a a handful of literary gold that she can take with her and and use in the in the fabrication and construction of this story Uh, Janet we'll start with you Uh, uh, A last final thought to melissa
2: my last final thought is make her fated enough and resilient enough to kill her father in the beginning and kill her own fears in the end
0: nice excellent thank you excellent chris what about you sir
3: just wait until you can't stand it anymore it. And then start right <laughs> with, i really can't stand it anymore
0: until, yeah. until you literally have to go to the keyboard
3: yeah awesome yeah. Awesome.
1: Michael, what about you, sir? Melissa, I would invite you to take any part of epic fantasy and the received wisdom and the kind of common practice of the genre and challenge it, discard it, or you know, turn it to your own use. You can get rid of the patriarchy assumption. You can get rid of the four kingdoms that need each other and have us and have a tepid alliance. You can get rid of, you know, what dragons what the assumption about dragons are. Everything here is under your control and you can always dig deeper and not just take kind of the easy the easy road. The easy road lets you get other things better because you can take common assumptions in shorthand, but you can then dig into some elements within the genre and make them fresh again.
0: Excellent. Wow. <laughs> That's our Michael. Thank you.
4: <laughs> Thank you.
0: He's awesome um melissa my final thing is is a question actually um now i know you came into this with with hopes and expectations i would be willing to bet that the topics the themes the 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 elements that were raised during this workshop were not what you're expecting am i right
4: to tell you the truth dave i um wasn't sure what to expect okay i i was coming in hoping for any small thread anybody was willing to give me and i am leaving with a mountain of notes i'd be very curious to, to hear what you finally decide
2: to do
0: absolutely absolutely all, i think all of us are and and that i guess is is my final parting wisdom is that you have you know certainly three uh, 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 authors with with various uh Gifts and backgrounds and legacies in in their own voice in the storytelling craft. Uh, uh, the points that that jump out to them may not be points that occurred to you, but the fact that they did come up are 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 things to be. Uh, uh, I think. Focused on at least considered uh, uh, very seriously that the fact of the gender issues. Honestly, I was not down with the idea of her killing him in the first scene, but after the discussion with 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 my worthy uh, co and guest hosts, uh, uh, I, I've I've changed my mind. You're right. That's just <laughs> badass, uh, uh, and it and it throws the whole story into confusion thereafter. And that's a strong leaping point, but it's also a challenge. So so look at those. Items. Look at those themes uh, uh, and, and figure out which ones resonate the most with you, and and use them to infuse your character and your story uh, with with that excitement uh, that that is kindled in you. That's that's I guess my my best advice at this point. Uh, so, Melissa, here's the deal. Here's here's the promise that we give to all uh, uh, our courageous guest writers here on the round table: is you go out and you write this story. And you put it out in the world, it doesn't matter how, whether you you ebook it, trad book it, pub it, uh uh indie pub, put it up in a PDF on your website, but you put it out there so that the world can can enjoy it. And when you do, we will have you back and we will knight you. We will make you a knight of the round table podcast.
3: It'll be fun to see what would happen.
0: <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Melissa, you down with
4: that? Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> Fabulous. Awesome. Well, Janet and Chris Morris, I I, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, uh, this, this has been an educational experience uh, uh, for all parties concerned. I know our listeners have received uh, a, a lot of insights that I don't think necessarily would have been available to them otherwise. So I'm grateful for your time and for your generous sharing during this podcast. We appreciate it.
2: It was fascinating.
0: Thank you very much. You're most welcome. Michael, as always, a pleasure to share the mic with you, my friend. And thank you for bringing your unique mojo to the mix. It was fabulous as always
1: thank you so much for having me I will uh, I will ride beside you anytime good friend
0: uh, it shall be so we will saddle up and ride into the into the literary shadows together <laughs> and as long as we're doling out gratitude dear friends listeners we want to thank you as well without you we are we are shouting into the void to no means or purpose other than our own selfish ends. so you ennoble us by tuning in and for that we are grateful uh, if you're feeling the vibe and you want to pay it forward a little bit you can always give us a review out at iTunes, uh, we're always delighted to uh, uh, get your thoughts and opinions out there, and that helps our boost our rankings in that esteemed framework. Uh, we have now a message board at the roundtable, uh, and this episode will be a part of the workshop. Uh, forum that's up there so if you wish to continue the discussion if you have your own ideas for melissa by all means make your way out there and join into it and that of course is at www.roundtablepodcast.com wow so here we are spent and exhausted after another fabulous story workshop but you know what friends next week it starts all over again. We have another round of awesome guest hosts bringing their unique perspectives and pouring them into our ears. Another courageous guest writer coming on the show and sharing their story for workshopping and brainstorming goodness. More roundtable fabulosity for all. That is in one week's time, and that's seven days. That's a lot. So, Michael, what do you think our listeners should be doing between now and then? This time go right go right the legacy of Brian Humphrey lives on and it is good advice indeed and I will share with you friends as I always do you find what you're looking for so look for the good stuff look for the top shelf look for the package with the bright ribbons and the big box because if you look for it dear friends you will find it we will see you in just seven days until then you guys stay cool be frosty be awesome and we will talk to you soon bye bye This episode is copyright 2014 by The Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for The Roundtable Podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us. Visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast and you can always email us at the table at roundtablepodcast.com thanks for listening